Hi there, this is Scholar Minor, a podcast about myth, magic, and occasional miscellany. My name is Ursula, I'm your host and fellow learning enthusiast. It is not so much ill that I have been as depressed in spirits. I cannot express to you how terribly I have been suffering from gloom. I begin to have a secret terror lest I may never behold you again. Abandon all hope of seeing me soon. You know how cheerfully I wrote to you not long ago about my prospects, hopes, how I anticipated being soon out of difficulty. Well, all seems to be frustrated, at least for the present. As usual, misfortunes never come single, and I have met one disappointment after another. These words were written in 1849 to Mrs. Annie L. Richmond of Massachusetts by none other than the master of Gothic literature Edgar Allan Poe, less than five months before he died of mysterious causes. Poe's likeness has become synonymous with horror, but how did he get there? How did we get here? Like many folks, at least here in the States, I first encountered Poe in school. As a wide-eyed and bad-tempered tween, I read his short stories, The Telltale Heart and The Cask of Amontillado. I was absolutely hooked. As I grew older and developed a fondness for poetry, and admittedly for the ghostly and macabre, I discovered Poe's poetry. There are few writers as eloquent in their expression of melancholy and feelings of just otherness. So it's no wonder that today, over a hundred years later, Poe's work still speaks to so many. As Poe writes in his poem titled Alone, From childhood's hour I have not been as others were, I have not seen as others saw, I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source I have not taken my sorrow, I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone, and all I loved, I loved alone. Tonight we'll be talking about Edgar Allan Poe, and I'm so glad that you've joined me, and I hope you enjoy. As the flames when first seen had already made so terrible a progress that all efforts to save any portion of the building were evidently futile, the astonished neighborhood stood idly around in silent and pathetic wonder. Edgar Allan Poe's life began as strangely as you might expect. He was born on January 19, 1809 to struggling actors David and Elizabeth Poe in Boston, Massachusetts. Shortly after Edgar's birth, David abandoned his family in 1810, leaving Elizabeth to raise their three children, William, Edgar, and Rosalie, on her own in near destitution. Suffering from poor health, Elizabeth succumbed to pneumonia, probably related to tuberculosis, in 1811, leaving the Poe children orphaned. Even from his earliest years, wherever Edgar Allan Poe went, misfortune trailed behind in the shadows. A mere 18 days after his mother Elizabeth's death, the Richmond Theater, where she performed regularly during her life, burned to the ground during a performance. 72 people died, including Virginia's sitting governor, George William Smith. 
In the midst of this chaos and tragedy, the Poe children were separated and each adopted into a different home. Little Edgar was placed with the childless John and Francis Allen, remaining in Virginia. For all intents and purposes, Poe had been adopted by the Allens, though it wasn't made official. Some historians theorize that this may have been a legality issue, as his father was technically alive out there somewhere, but it's uncertain exactly why. Either way, Mrs. Allen was overjoyed to have a child in the house, and little Edgar was well taken care of. The wealthy John Allen took the seven-year-old Poe overseas, enrolling him in school in Scotland and later in England. It was in England that Poe began to write. His trademark gloom and unease were evident even in his earliest works, such as this poem, The Lake, written when he was only 12 years old. In spring of youth it was my lot to haunt of the wide earth a spot the which I could not love the less. So lovely was the loneliness of a wild lake with a black rock bound and the tall pines that towered around. But when the night had thrown her pall upon that spot, as upon all, and the mystic wind went by, murmuring in melody, then, ah, then I would awake to the terror of that lone lake. Yet that terror was not fright, but a tremulous delight, a feeling not the jeweled mine could teach or bribe me to define, nor love, although the love were thine. Death was in that poisonous wave, and in its gulf a fitting grave, for him who thence could solace bring to his lone imagining, whose solitary soul could make an Eden of that dim lake. Unbeknownst to him at the time, Edgar Allan Poe would soon become an integral contributor to an immense and hugely influential literary genre, Gothic fiction. Whether you're an avid reader or not, you are familiar with the greats of Gothic fiction. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was published in 1818, and Bram Stoker's Dracula was released in 1897. Horror as we know it today is hugely indebted to this movement, which reveled in romanticized morbidity and the macabre. English writer, historian, and politician Horace Walpole is generally credited with being the father of Gothic literature, having published the novel The Castle of Otranto in 1764. Walpole's work features many elements that appear over and over again in future Gothic fiction. Mysterious deaths, ancient family curses, frightening apparitions, spooky caves, and tragic romance. Influenced in part by medieval storytelling, gothic fiction was also a reactionary genre. Created in response to the largely skeptical and naturalistic writing of the neoclassicist and revolutionary literary movements of the 17th and 18th centuries. Gothic fiction grew from romanticism, with a focus in literature changing from observation to emotion. As Atchison L. Hench explains in his 1923 Huffman's Study of the 18th Century Novel, the so-called Gothic stage was a revolt from naturalness and comparative photographic accuracy. The Gothic novel, by returning to the medieval machinery of castles, dungeons, and the supernatural, aimed to release the emotions of surprise, excitement, enthusiasm, and wonder. The realistic novel had helped men to know themselves intellectually, socially, and morally. The Gothic, or more broadly the Romantic novel, added new charm to life by affecting that life through the imagination. 
1769 letter, Horace Walpole wrote that this world is a comedy to those that think, a tragedy to those that feel. Seeming to almost be a character of Gothic fiction himself, Edgar Allan Poe was a man of extraordinary creativity and talent, beset upon by tragedy after tragedy. As a young teenager, Edgar Allan Poe moved back to the United States. In Virginia, he met his first sweetheart, Sarah Elmira Royster. Unfortunately, her parents soon intercepted their love letters and put an end to the relationship, though Elmira would turn up later again in Poe's life, as we will see. It was also during this time that Poe became attached to a woman named Jane Stith Craig Stannard, who was the mother of one of his classmates. During this time, Poe had begun to butt heads with his adoptive father over his desire to become a poet, but in Jane he found support and encouragement. In an 1848 letter to a Marie-Louise Shue, Poe describes Mrs. Stannard thusly. I place you in my esteem in all solemnity beside the friend of my boyhood, the mother of my schoolfellow of whom I told you, truest, tenderest of this world's most womanly souls, and an angel to my forlorn and darkened nature. Mrs. Stannard suffered from poor psychological health and died following a mental breakdown at the age of only 31. Poe was 15. The poems To One Departed, A Pian, and To Helen are believed to have been written in Jane Stannard's memory. Poe began attending the University of Richmond, and things began to go bad rapidly. He started drinking, and when he drank, he gambled, and soon found himself broke. Having supported him financially when he began attending university, an irate John Allen refused to assist Poe in paying off his newly acquired gambling debts. Poe ran away to Boston in 1827. There, after using his only remaining money to publish his first book, Tamerlane and Other Poems, he falsified his age and enlisted in the United States Army. About two years later, John Allen managed to get Poe home. During his time in the army, Mrs. Allen had passed away. Supplicating for approval and acceptance from his foster father, Poe began attending West Point. When John Allen remarried in 1830, the strain became too much for father or son to bear. Allen disowned Poe. Poe purposefully misbehaved at West Point and was court-martialed and dismissed after six months for gross neglect of duty. Though Poe had published some poetry by this time, he was not making money off it. In 1837, the United States had entered a financial crisis, and many industries struggled during the depression known as the Panic of 1837. Publishers weren't making any money, and unfortunately in the 1830s there weren't established legal rights for authors and other creators. If you submitted a piece to a publisher and they refused to pay you, there wasn't really anything you could do, and Poe, like many writers, found himself in this situation more than once. Poe went to Baltimore to live with his aunt, Maria Poe Clem, her daughter, Virginia, and Poe's older brother, William. William suffered from tuberculosis, made worse by alcoholism, and died shortly after Poe's arrival. Poe then married his cousin, Virginia, in 1836, and by all accounts they were happy, despite an eerily close blood relationship and an alarming age difference. Poe worked odd jobs, rarely keeping them for long, losing an editor position with the Southern Literary Messenger because of on-the-job drinking. 
He dreamed of starting his own publication, working off and on in editing, critiquing, and other roles for existing journals. Moving everywhere from Richmond to New York to Philadelphia with Virginia and Aunt Maria in tow, Poe's poetry only occasionally found success. When it did, he was seldom paid for it. Aunt Maria took up most of the financial responsibility of caring for her daughter and son-in-law, or nephew, and was somehow able to keep them all eating, though it was far from a comfortable living situation. In 1842, Virginia began to show symptoms of tuberculosis. It was Poe's worst nightmare. Though he continued writing, his mental and physical state deteriorated rapidly. In his own words, Poe tells us, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. During these fits of absolute unconsciousness I drank, God only knows how often or how much. Despite his personal tribulations, Poe continued to write at an astonishing pace. In 1842 and 1843, several of his most well-known short horror stories made their debuts. The Mask of the Red Death, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Telltale Heart, The Gold Bug, and The Black Cat. One day in January 1845, recognition finally found Edgar Allan Poe. His narrative poem, The Raven, was published and saw immediate success. To this day, it is one of the most well-known poems in the world. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. The publication of The Raven made Poe famous. It earned him the nickname The Raven, and he was soon recognized on the streets. He received requests to read the work aloud for public and private events, and to hold lectures, which he did up until his death. The Raven was printed, reprinted, parodied, and praised. Unbelievably, despite its incredible impression, Poe only earned $9 from The Raven's publication. Adjusted for inflation, that's only about $310. Poe and family moved to a tiny cottage in what is now the Bronx, then known as Fordham, in 1846 following the loss of Poe's most recent job. Virginia was gravely ill. Editor of Poems of Poe, Louis Untermeyer, describes their grim situation. The summer and autumn were bearable, but before winter had set in, the wolf howled across the sills of the bare cottage where Mrs. Clem was patching rags and Virginia lay on a straw mattress in the attic, wrapped in Poe's old army coat. Poe could no longer afford stamps to mail his manuscripts. There were no blankets in the house, the stove was frequently without wood, and the dying consumptive hugged a large tortoiseshell cat to keep warm. At only 24 years old, Virginia was dead. The now 38-year-old Poe was alone, penniless, and strangely, a household name. One of Poe's poems about the loss of Virginia, Annabel Lee, was not published until after his death. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. For a time after Virginia's passing, Poe was not doing well. A brief engagement to poet Sarah Helen Whitman ended once Poe's erratic and self-destructive behavior became evident. 
A return to Richmond, however, saw Poe rekindling his romance with Sarah Elmira Royster, his childhood sweetheart. By this time, her husband Alexander Shelton had died, leaving her a widowed mother of two children at the age of 39, only one year Poe's junior. With Elmira's support, Poe began to gradually recover from the loss of Virginia, even joining the Sons of Temperance to address his drinking problem. They were involved until Poe's death in 1849. In September 1849, Poe was intending to visit Philadelphia and New York briefly before marrying Elmira. Despite feeling somewhat unwell, and as Elmira observed, possessing a feverish pulse, he boarded the steamboat that would carry him from Richmond to Baltimore on September 29th. After that, Poe went missing for five days, before being found in Baltimore in very, very bad shape on October 3rd. Poe was found delirious, convulsing, and dressed in a stranger's clothing outside of a tavern called Gunner's Hall. He was taken to Washington College Hospital and, according to some witnesses, was unable to explain where he had been or what had happened to him. The physician on duty upon his arrival, Dr. J.J. Morgan, recorded that once Poe regained his consciousness, he was sweating profusely, shaking, and incoherent. Dr. Morgan tells us that Poe was in a busy but not violent or active delirium. The whole chamber seethed for him, and with vacant converse, he talked to the specters that withered and loomed on the walls. Poe finally died on the morning of October 7th. Some reports claimed that his last words were, Lord, help my poor soul. He was buried unceremoniously the following day in the rain with only six people in attendance. His grave in the Poe family plot was left unmarked, aside from a sandstone block reading number 80. On October 9th, an obituary for Poe appeared in the New York Tribune. The author of this obituary was poet and editor Rufus Wilmot Griswold. Poe was notorious for being highly critical of other poets' work and had embarrassed Griswold with poor reviews and public critiques. Upon the news of Poe's death, Griswold became obsessed with destroying the legacy of his rival. Griswold's New York Tribune obituary famously began with, Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Publications at the time claimed that Poe's cause of death was congestion of the brain, sometimes used as a euphemism for alcohol poisoning, but no medical records or Poe's death certificate have survived. Griswold's obituary and subsequent biography of Poe, titled Memoir of the Author and published with a collection of Poe's writings, were intended to paint Poe as a cantankerous, womanizing drug addict. Griswold even forged letters claiming they were Poe's to use as proof of his claims. Even though those that knew Poe objected to Griswold's attacks, the dark content of Poe's writing and the strangeness of his death allowed Griswold's false narrative to gain traction. Even today, some biographies of Poe claim, for example, that he was an opium addict, though there is no evidence of this, even in his abundant preserved personal letters, and most historians agree that it was a deliberate falsehood. Now, if you're wondering why I haven't told you what Poe's death was really caused by, I haven't because it remains a mystery to this day. The number of theories are astounding, citing everything from heart disease or delirium tremens to rabies or kidnapping and voter fraud. 
Unfortunately, whatever really happened to Poe has been lost to time. This brings us to the end of our discussion, and I hope that you learned something new about Edgar Allan Poe. He is one of my favorite writers, and I hope that you are inspired to give his stories and poems a read, though perhaps not before bedtime. As always, thank you so much for listening to Scholar Minor. For previous episodes and additional content, please check out my website at www.ursaminorcreations.com. A link to the site and my bibliographical references are available in the show notes. I'm so glad you joined me once again, and I'll talk to you all next week.